Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Nick Pollock, and I'm joined by not one, but two outstanding guests tonight. First, we have our wonderful co-host, Matt Filipovitz. How you doing, Matt? Nick, I'm good. I'm excited to be here to talk about Penn State's schedule because we have uh, Penn State football next week. It's My here. God. I'm very excited about it. Came out of nowhere. Also joining us tonight is Craig Fritz. How you doing, Craig? We're doing great. We're ready to rock, baby. Let's get awesome. the show Craig, on the road. Craig now busting out what I believe is his third different background in as many podcasts. Um, second, we're just a little narrower tonight. So. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so at, as Matt mentioned, uh, tonight we are going to be taking a look at the Penn State schedule. We're not going to necessarily make predictions about what's going to happen as far as the regular season is concerned, but we're more just going to analyze, you know, how things are looking at this stage. Uh, before we get into it, uh, as always, please make sure you are subscribed and following whatever the terminology is for the site that you're on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, any of those. Make sure you're following Roar Lions Roar, a Penn State football podcast on there. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please go ahead and leave us a five-star review and a comment if you leave a comment with your five-star review if you toss a question in there we will happily answer it on the podcast could be about anything doesn't have to be penn state football anything you want we're open books here we're happy to answer anything um but as i said we're going to take a brief look just at the penn state schedule as a whole and we're also going to use this as a chance to do you know like a general big 10 preview we're not going to go super in depth on any of these teams right now because we'll do that as they come on the schedule during the regular season but this will give us a good chance to, you know, just get a general look at what Penn State has ahead of them. And, you know, it starts with, you know, the kind of the chunk one of the schedule we're going to look at. It starts with a matchup at Purdue. And I just want to read new athletic director Pat Kraft's comments about opening on the road for the 12th time in the last 13 years and the seventh year in a row. He said it stinks. In the Big Ten, you mean? not overall, In the Big Ten. Right? Sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah. in the Big Ten. It stinks. It stinks. Franklin called me the other day about it. I said, what? I called the conference office and said, this is unacceptable. So we're addressing that right away. This shouldn't happen to Penn State. We should be at home for our opener. I did deal with that. Matt, what did you think about that comment from Kraft? Uh, Pat Kraft seems like a, like a guy I'd want to get a beer with, man. Like he, Very blunt, which you don't really see a lot from athletic directors, um, or at least we didn't from Penn State athletic directors. And like I, I get why a lot of the time the Penn State athletic director in the past has tried to avoid making really any remotely controversial public comments. I, I get why. Um, but it was good to see Pat Kraft as a fighter for the university and as a fighter for the football program. Um, you know, I, I don't know how big of a deal it is. Like you're going to go on the road eventually. It is weird. Uh, you know, in a perfect world, like pre these last three seasons it'll be now like you still got the non-con openers at home to get a tune-up uh but it is going to be cool hopefully that they can they can shake it up here and hopefully have uh this year be the last time for a little bit uh the conference openers on the road craig i assume that you are all on board team uh conspiracy here on the big 10 is purposely trying to ruin penn state season well as many people know i am a little bit of a schedule uh conspiracy <laughs> guy and you know, prior to the rearranging of the schedule post COVID, you know, Penn State ends up playing back to backs against OSU, Michigan and Michigan State more than those other teams play back to backs against the other three and going on the road for your season opener in conference two years in a row. Three years is 
Is it three? Indiana, yeah, first 2020. Game. Okay. All right. Sorry, you're right. That game didn't you're, happen. You're, you're right. <laughs> God. <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> I kind of like, I feel like 2020 is a reset. doesn't really count because True. everything that happened. But Side um, note. Really quick side note to that. I was randomly pulling up some, as, as you might know, avid Mariners fan, and I was watching some Evan White highlights the other day because he's finally healthy in AAA. But all his highlights are from the 2020 season. Man, is it weird to go back and watch, especially baseball, because they started before, like when they first started, they hadn't like started piping and crowd noise and stuff yet. So it's just dead silent while they're Silence. playing. And so it's weird. so weird. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> I think that the Big Ten has done Penn State no favors, um, and that's fine because you, you know it's kind of a loser argument to whine about scheduling. But at the same time, you just want to be. I, I'm just looking for even playing field. I don't necessarily think that you know th- this schedule is harder than any other schedule or whatever it may be. But you want to see everyone treated in the same way, and having all these openers, conference openers, and then consecutive season openers on the road is I, I I mean I'd have to go and look but I don't think anybody else did that especially among Wisconsin Michigan Ohio State Michigan State I think the one thing to your point about how Ohio State Michigan Michigan State don't seem to have to play back-to-backs against the other big three big four as often as Penn State does I think part of that you know pride is you know a function of Ohio State, Michigan always being the last game of the season. So they, and you're not going to, you're obviously, when you're making a schedule, like if you're a, if you're making Ohio State schedule, you're not going to stack Penn State, Michigan as the last two games of the year. Like that's just, that'd be blasphemy. Um, But yes, I mean, that, that's kind of an unfair advantage, I guess, when it comes to making your schedule. But you know, if you're them, you also have to save ostensibly your toughest game for the last week. So, you know, ups and downs. And again, like there are ups and downs, like you say, and I don't want to belabor this point. We need to move on. But like Michigan is playing Penn State and Michigan State in consecutive games, but they have a buy in between. Okay. Michigan State, I would be upset as a fan this year because they get consecutively Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Oh, whoa. I mean, that's brutal. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you're a team that won 11 games, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's, that's awful. Well, speaking of annoying matchups, let's talk about the first chunk of the season for Penn State here. Like we said, they start on the road at Purdue, which is, as we're recording this on a Tuesday, is a week and two days from today, Thursday, September 1st. Uh, Then they will return home for the out-of-conference opener against Ohio. Then they will be at Auburn, and then they will be home for Central Michigan University. I think the first question I have when I look at this you know, this set on the schedule, Matt, what do you think is actually the scarier matchup here? Purdue or Auburn? This is, this is tough because Auburn is scary because I think there was a stat that we learned today that Penn state is the first big 10 team to go to Jordan Hare. Is that, is that correct? I'm pretty sure I I saw that that today. So that's, that's kind of terrifying in and of itself, but I think we're, uh, we're heading towards a bit of an anxiety bowl week one between Penn State and Purdue. Like if Penn State loses at Purdue, the whole season has this huge cloud over it. Um, yeah, I, I think if they lose at Purdue, a realistic conversations have to happen about how you handle the Sean Clifford, Christian Veyer, Drew Aller situation. Like there's just so many decisions that have to be made if they lose at Purdue. 
Um, and I don't think you have to have those conversations if they lose at Auburn. Like, I think the Auburn loss in week three is a bit easier to explain um, just by nature of what that program is. So it, it le- at least in the, in the national conversation, because everyone's like, oh, right. well, they went to Jordan Hare where teams aren't supposed to have an easy time beating Auburn. Right, exactly. Versus exactly. you go to West Lafayette, students are possibly not even back yet, or it's Labor Day weekend. Who knows what's going on? And it's a an 8 p.m. game. And on a weeknight. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I got to go with Purdue as the one that, that gives me more anxiety right now. Hmm. Craig, do you agree? No, I don't. Because I think that Auburn's defense is legit. And I think if there's a team in the first four that is going to challenge this offensive line, it's going to be the Tigers based on who they have up front returning. Mm-hmm. If the Boilermakers do that and our revamp and the Penn state revamped offensive line struggles at Purdue to get the ball moving at all, then it, it doesn't matter because they're going to have, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I don't know that there's a fix um, coming by the time you go um, down to Alabama, but I, I, I just think, Auburn is going to be a huge atmosphere that we have. I say we Penn state has a lot of young guys that they're leaning on and it's going to be, you know, the reverse whiteout. It's going to be going into hostile territory where a lot of these um, kids, you know, are going to be wide eyed with tons of adrenaline. So. Yeah. And obviously it's going to be a really difficult uh, situation for Penn state to be playing in. But at the same time, this is kind of what's fun about college football, right? The chance to get to go to different places like Auburn. Like Penn State is not normally ever going to get to play at Auburn. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next question here. I'm curious what you guys think, and this is more more, more grand scheme now. Um, just what do you think about Penn State's out-of-conference opponents the last, I don't know, how however many years. Obviously, we had those four years in a row of Pitt. We had uh, the Virginia Tech home and home scheduled that never happened because of COVID and because they scurred. Uh, we had Auburn last year and this year. We have West Virginia coming up next year. If you go back even deeper, obviously before James Franklin, you can look at uh, like Virginia. You can look at even way back when I started becoming a fan, we had Alabama. What do you think about the way that they've gone? And, and frankly, it might be a moot point soon, right? With all the realignment that's going on in college football, there might not be room for many marquee out-of-conference matchups. But do you like that they are sort of trying to branch out a little bit here, like with Auburn, like this, this series with Auburn? Um, or do you more jive with what they do with like more regional opponents like Virginia Tech and Pitt and West Virginia? Matt, what's your kind of preference there? I guess as the sport kind of becomes more national, I am excited to see Penn State going to unique places. I think, if I'm not wrong, Jordan Hare is just the third true road venue Penn State is going to go to in the non-conference since Franklin took over. Because you went to Pitt twice, you went to Temple in 15, you went to Ireland in 15, but that's not true road. So I think Jordan Hare is just the third one. And considering the other two are the only two FBS teams in the state of Pennsylvania, like Penn state is due to get out there and going to these new environments that are outside of the big 10 footprint. So I like it, you know, the the sport's only going to become more national. I mean, recruiting is, you know, where coaches end up like are the transfer portal has guys going from Auburn, Alabama to Eugene, Oregon. Like it's just such a different world than it was even 10 years ago. So 
I kind of like this idea. I do want to keep having these, you know, smaller regional games, like keep scheduling the Villanovas of the world, you know, the Delawares. I think those games are just fun. Like it's a great fan experience, uh, especially for like young fans to really get involved and get up to their first game in like a reasonable atmosphere. Like I want to keep those, but I'm all for having these big non-con game, non-con games, especially as, as long as they're home and home. I don't want to do any of those weird, like neutral site games. Give me on-campus games all day. Yeah. Craig, you agree? You kind of like the reaching out more? I wish they would do it more, to be honest. Like Virginia Tech was cool. You know, there's not a history there. West Virginia was cool because there was a history and then there's this huge gap of 30 years when the teams didn't play each other. Um, and, but like we're dipping back in the well to play Temple. Syracuse, these games bore me. Like it, it's just so uncreative. There's like... Can we go? Can we play UNC? Let's go to Chapel Hill and have the Tar Heels come. Like this is a, a regional game, right? This is accessible for a lot of Penn State fans on the East Coast, but it's not like, I mean, De- Delaware, fine, whatever. But you're talking like 2026 right now. Your non-con is Marshall at home, at Temple, and San Jose State. That's a joke. That's, Syracuse that strikes me as a that strikes me as a we know things might get really weird before that point. So let's just kind of put placeholders here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you have to look at this from the fact that there are going to be a lot of placeholders. But I just think the deference to these traditional regional opponents, it does nothing for the for the younger fans that never saw, you know, Penn State Syracuse back in the day, never saw West Virginia uh, Penn State back in the day. And like, obviously, there's the animosity with Pitt. But um also, this is like an, your your golden opportunity for uh, alumni to travel, and who who wouldn't like we move in mass? Like who? What AD wouldn't want to have Penn State come to town? Um, my my dream is that we can go party in Tempe and watch a game against the Sun Devils. Um, but you know, I those are the types of things I would rather see. That can be your dream, and my dream is that I can just <laughs> drive 30 minutes north and watch Penn State play against the University of Washington. That'd be great for me personally. To bring it back to the, these four games on the schedule, what, Matt, do you think would constitute a successful start to the season with these, just these four, looking at only these four games? Three and one. Okay. I think is, I want to say four and oh, but. Auburn's a mess, especially after the whole Harson thing. But that's something we'll get into in about a month at this point, or less than a month. Um, yeah, man. I mean, three and one feels like feels like what they have to go to be considered like in a good spot in October. Anything worse than that is 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 disaster mode. Craig, you you got to be four and zero. You you have to be four and zero. I mean, what are your aspirations? You you want to win nine games? Fine, you can be three and one. But the second portion of the schedule is not like, okay, and we'll talk about it, but it's much less forgiving than the first portion. Um, if you have aspirations of winning a Big Ten championship or playing in New York Six Bowl, you have to be 4-0. And before we get into that second section of the schedule, which as Craig previewed there, that's that's where the money's going to be made. I have one bonus question here for you guys. So we're playing Central Michigan this year there's you know there's eastern michigan there's western michigan there's northern illinois i want to know which direction when added on to a school name is the fiercest sounds the most dangerous who are you most afraid of? are you afraid of a northern something a western something an eastern something a southern something a central something 
what strikes the most fear in you, Matt? What strikes the most fear in me? I don't know why, but like, I want to say, I want to say Western. I, agree. I think because like Western Kentucky was pretty good last year. Like that sure. probably has something to do with it. And sure. like, I can't think of Penn State basketball beat North Florida when I was a student <laughs> once. So that didn't strike a lot of fear into me. I think West has to be the answer. Craig. I, 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 I'm going to go with the North. I mm. think Northern Arizona is a probably terrifying place to be. And that, scares me um northern <laughs> illinois it, they're the huskies that's a terrifying jordan lynch dog that is huge and could uh, you know inflict some damage so i mean are we talking like does north dakota count or is it just a direction uh, that's a I great don't, question no I, so i thought about that i don't think north dakota counts because it's part okay. of the state name like, it has to be like directional Understand. if there was a sure. northern north dakota Ooh. sure i might go i might go with western too like western carolina kind of scary hmm. It's just a, like there's a lot out there you don't really understand. Yeah, I, I shiners. Yeah, for me, it's got to be western. Western is it's it's the mysterious side of the country. It was the last the last to be explored, the last to be colonized. You know, it's no one really knows what's going on out here until you're out here. It's it's the most mysterious one, I think. Um, so let's move on to the second and like I like I mentioned, the most important part of the schedule here for Penn State. Uh, we're going to call it Schedule Chunk Two. Started off uh, versus Northwestern at home. And that's not the issue here. Then we have a bye week. And then we are at Michigan, home versus Minnesota for the whiteout. And then home versus Ohio State, which I believe we found out is probably going to be at noon. It's probably going to be Fox has it. So I'm guessing okay. it's going to be it's probably going to be Fox at noon. Yeah. yeah big yeah. noon. So, yeah, this is, you know, obviously at Michigan versus Minnesota versus Ohio State is as brutal of a stretch as you can get in the big 10 um i guess if you wanted to toss iowa or wisconsin in there instead of minnesota that'd be tough but you know minnesota should be pretty good this year so matt what are your thoughts on you know just having to play these three teams back to back to back i mean this is where this is where the season's made like penn state's third chunk or third third i guess we'll call it um is pretty is pretty nice it's pretty light it's not that bad um but you're gonna work matt just saying yeah you're true very true um you're gonna learn everything you need to know about this team um before the month of october is over like that stretch is gonna be brutal i love the buy before um before michigan especially going on the road i think that's gonna be really nice um michigan the big house is a is always a tough place to play um Penn State has technically won in the big house under James Franklin, um, even though nobody was in the stands to see it. It happened. Um, and then, you know, Minnesota, I really don't know what they are yet. I, I, Kirk Chirac is back. Cool. Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, and then Ohio State is is the juggernaut. But getting them at home, uh, I think, could be, a, could be a fun one. But it's just uh, it's going to be tough. And I'm, I'm very glad that they have the bye week after a a five game start that that could have them in a pretty good position nationally. Craig, how afraid of you are how a how afraid are you of that Minnesota game sandwiched between the two giants? Uh I mean it's it definitely speaks as a classic trap game. I'm less worried about it because it's homecoming, it's at night, the crowd is going to be in like tuned up. The concern that you have is coming off a game like playing at Michigan, how healthy are you, right? That's obviously going to be an ex- Every game in the Big Ten is physical, but that is, you know, a marquee matchup um, with lots of stress that goes with it, not just um, injury wise, but, you know, the guys lay everything out. I'm also worried about Michigan after the bye. James Franklin's record after the bye, 
it ain't pretty. And that's going on the road. I, I do have concerns, but Minnesota specifically, I mean, if I told, if I told you that Minnesota was the number two scoring defense in the big 10 last year, would you have believed me? No, no. 17.3 points a game tied That's with it? Penn State. So tied, t- they tied Penn State. Yes. Wow. Huh. Right. They did um, lose a lot from that defense, didn't they? I know they, they lost. A lot I know they lost Boye Mafe because he's a Seahawk now. So on offense, they return. I'm just looking at SP plus right here. On offense, they return 80, percent which is 27th in the country. On defense, they only return 59, percent which is 97th in the country. Yeah. So they did lose a lot of production on defense um, as a linchpin, but it's a pretty strong foundation to build from. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a concerning game, but again, less so because of the atmosphere and how we roll on uh, nighttime games in October at Beaver Stadium. Sure. Yeah. Well, Craig jumped the gun a little bit on my next question, Matt, when he talked about the bye. Like he said, you know, James Franklin, Penn State teams after the bye week have not really gone all that great overall. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I I know we wrote about it at one point, um, so I'm sure that that can be found somewhere or maybe not. I don't think you actually find any of our articles anymore. Uh, you, I know you mentioned that you were happy about the timing of it, but are you sure? Yeah. I mean, five games in is a pre- is as close to middle of the schedule as you can get without being middle of the schedule um, is five games in. Uh, I mean, l- listen, I mean, by the time you have a bye, you've already been on the road to two power five teams. Uh, and you've gotten in theory, two tune up games against two max schools and you play a Northwestern team that, I, even though it's an even year, I'm not confident will be good at the sport of football. Um, so it, it's like a good a good end point to a part of your schedule where you were forming your identity. And you can then shift into the next phase of the schedule, which is proving that you belong with the big boys if that first five games goes well. So I, I think it's in a pretty good spot. Like, I can't imagine. I'd rather have the bye week before a road game against Michigan than after the road game against Michigan and before back-to-back home games. Hmm. Interesting. I think I could actually make a... I think I would argue I'd rather have it after Michigan, but, you know, to use their own. I agree. I agree. After Michigan. Um, Speaking of Michigan, Craig, let's get a little more granular on the two biggest opponents on Penn State's schedule here. Obviously, Michigan last year had a great season. Absolutely steamrolled Ohio State in the game. I probably should have lost to Penn State, but it is what it is. Uh, Went to the playoff. Obviously, things didn't go their way there, but still, overall, really good season for them. Offseason hasn't gone as well, but we won't talk about that right this second. (laughs) But my question for you, Craig, is can Michigan do what they did last year again? They no longer have Hassan Haskins. They no longer have Aiden Hutchinson or David Ajabo. They lose both coordinators. A lot of things are going to be different in Ann Arbor, but you know Jim Harbaugh is still there, so you assume that things will generally be the same as they have. But can they kind of capture all of that perfectly like they did last year again? So here's the thing. I mean, we were talking about returning production. It's not just Hutchinson and Ojabo. They're only returning 43% of production on defense, which is mm-hmm. 124th in the country. Their offense is not... Now, I say this. They scored like 35 points a game last year, 35.8 points a game last year. So there were not slouches on offense. Right. But I don't think that, I don't think their offense can sustain and they're not going to have as many opportunities to cash in when the defense isn't as freakishly ridiculous Mm -hmm. as it was a year ago. 
And I think there is a, there's a reason to buy on Michigan this year from the perspective of their schedule is pretty tissue soft, especially to start out. Um, but we don't really learn anything until they go to Iowa and Matt and I were talking before the podcast getting ready. Matt thinks this is, you know, Kinnick at night magic happening. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm not buying on Michigan just because that is a lot of production to replace. And those guys were playing at the very highest level, um, on defense. So, yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning too, right? That, you know, Michigan isn't Ohio State. They don't recruit the way that Ohio State does. They recruit really well. And uh, I know it's easy to forget that because they're having a pretty disappointing <clears throat> recruiting cycle happening at the moment. But they don't reload quite the same way that the Buckeyes do. Or honestly, recently, not even the same way that any Lions do. So it's not like they're just going to plug guys in right away. Now, there are some exceptions to that you know donovan edwards is going to step and he played a lot last year but he's going to step right in and become part of that new rotation with him and blake Corm replacing hassan haskins different kind of back but still really talented but yeah it worth it's worth mentioning that this is not a situation where they they don't have as as our friends over at 11 warriors have on their t-shirt they michigan actually has backups i don't know if they just have more starters um so it is something that's worth it's worth watching, especially, you know, like, like you mentioned, we might not learn a whole much. Uh, we might not learn a whole lot about them over these first few weeks because how soft the schedule is. But if you watch them closely and watch individual performances, I think there will be a lot to glean from that um, as we look forward in their schedule. Matt, to flip to the other big dog on the schedule here, the team that does reload better than any nearly anybody else. Let's talk about Ohio State. They lost Garrett Wilson. They lost Chris Olave. That's not even worth me continuing on. They lost a lot of good players, but are they better? It, this is hard. I think they'll be worse offensively. I, I think they have no other option but to take a step back because I think that highly of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Like, I don't want to disrespect um, CJ Stroud, Trayvon Henderson, a pretty good offensive line. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful to them. Um, but, and, and I get the, even Ohio though State the rec- best receiver from last year's team is probably still on the team. Was he the best receiver or was everyone else focused on the other two guys? I mean, did you, it's did a fair you see question. the Rose Bowl? I'm just, just saying, did you see the Rose Bowl? But those bowl games kind of mean nothing I mean, to me. Yeah. I mean, who was play- for, for those unaware real play? quick, we are, we are talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is just yeah. an absolute monster. But, but is, I'm not saying he's not. But are we sure it's not because of all the attention Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave got? Are we saying that he was not it, a big it beneficiary? It very well of that? could be, but now they're also e- I'm not they're s- also plugging yeah. in Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, the kid from Washington whose name has lots of vowels that I have no idea how to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, Emeka you know, two Abuga more five star freshmen or something. Two, yes. four, two more five star freshmen. Yeah, yeah. Still, I, I. I don't know. Their defense is going to be better because it can't get worse. Like this is Ohio state. We're talking about here. Um, it's Larry Johnson. It is Jim Knowles. Uh, two guys who are very well respected in the sport and are probably both top 10 guys at their respective, uh, positions. I think that's yeah. fair to say, um, you know, Ohio state is probably going to be better than 10 and two. Um, again, 10 and two is a great year for 99% of the sport, but Ohio state is part of that other 2%. So, 
they they kind of have to be better or else the it's going to be another weird off season. Um, one thing about this game, I want to make sure I say uh, this Penn State Ohio State game specifically. There's one thing I really like heading in, and one thing I don't like. Which one do you guys want first? Hmm. Give me what don't, don't you like. like? Uh, James Franklin has said he does not like playing night games followed the next week by a day game and Minnesota is going to be a night game wide out. And then we're thinking Ohio state's going to be noon. Franklin has said you lose pretty much a whole day of recovery and prep from playing on that schedule. So that's not great. What I like is, sorry, wait, sorry. what is he advocate in, in what scenario? How often are you playing night games after night? And then you're playing it. You're going to play a day game. Is he just saying basically he wants the night game and then a bye? He said he'd rather have early games. He's he's said many times. He oh, so he just doesn't want the night game. I mean, he knows the value of them. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, saying. but I know he says he likes as early the ace games recruiter, more. He's got to know that. Yeah, but like still, like you, you're you're <laughs> losing that whole pretty much day of like at least twelve hours of recovery and prep uh, in fair. between you know the Minnesota night game and the Ohio State likely noon kick. Uh, the one thing I do like is that Ohio State, a little bit of a body blow theory here, has to host Iowa the week before they come to Penn State and. You know, hosting Iowa is very different than going to Kinnick, but that's still going to be a dogfight. So still not fun. One thing. Yeah. One thing I like, one thing I don't like and something that um, I'm sure I will touch on many times between now and late October. So, Craig, in this schedule chunk two, Northwestern, the bye, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, what constitutes success? Um, I think they have to be two and two. I don't think they're anything less than that is utter failure. Um, I just don't, I don't think you can be expected to roll into Ann Arbor and expect a win. I'm hoping for a competitive game. I would, I think it is a potential win. Um, but I think two and two, Matt, two and two. I think it has to be two. And yeah, I think it has to be two and two. So speaking of Ohio state, notably a school's fan base that did not past Penn State on the big new Saturday leaderboard for home field apparel. And if you missed this, big new Saturday is officially done after, I believe, what, three seasons? I think they call it three seasons of big new Saturday. Uh, They're officially hanging that tradition up. Home field will still be making new shirts and all that. They're not going to stop releasing new products, new schools, uh, but they are going to retire the no, the big new Saturday release the way that they do it currently, which means that your Penn State Nittany Lions are now the all-time winner for the big new Saturday contest, which is pretty awesome. Matt, I believe you are wearing a home field shirt right now. Can you tell us about it? I got my home field stuff today. I'll, I'll like rise up here a little bit to show off for my YouTube viewers. Uh, it's a great, great shirt. This is my favorite shirt from the collection. It's like a nice little off-white uh, with an old school Nittany Lion logo. I got that, my crew neck, and another t-shirt today. Um, I've ordered from Homefield before, so I knew the quality going in. Uh, and it did not disappoint. It, it, they fit me great. The uh, the crew neck is like maybe one of so. the coziest things I own. Like The only thing that rivals it, I think, is uh, I have an old Tutties sweatshirt from when Blog first launched. Like an that I don't even think we ever sold. I think we just have them. Uh, and this that that crew neck back there easily matches that in terms of comfort for me. So very, very happy with uh, with the home field order and, and the stuff fits me awesome. And I hope everyone else is slowly but surely getting their orders in uh, and then more people, you know, see us out and about with these and, and get inspired because they are they are some awesome T-shirts. 
Yes, my my order has currently spent the uh, last two days in Las Vegas, which hey, I can't blame it. That's a great pit stop on the way to Seattle. I won't I won't knock the shipment for wanting to have a good time. But yeah, I'm very excited to get my shipment. Um, as we've talked about, Homefield Apparel. First of all, if you have never ordered from them before, you can use the code Roar Lions Roar all caps all one word. Even though Big News Saturday is over and all that, you can still use that code if it's your first time on the site uh, to get 15 percent off of your first order. But like I was saying, I'm really excited to get my stuff. Like it's they, we've talked about this before. They take this really seriously. Like they they are really committed to making really awesome t-shirts like the one that Matt's wearing. And they pour through old yearbooks, old marketing materials, all that stuff to find cool designs that you haven't seen before, haven't seen in a long time. And they want to help you build that pride in your school. And, you know, we've spoken to them a lot. They're really happy that Penn State is the all-time leader for Big News Saturday. They are they were really excited about this Penn State line, and they're happy that we are the all-time leaders going forward. So, you know, it's great stuff. Give them a chance, support them, get some Penn State stuff, get some other stuff too. There's Matt. I know Matt's talked about meeting random people, having conversations because he's been wearing home field shirts for other schools out and about. I know I've got some Washington stuff, or Washington State stuff coming with my shipment as well that I'm excited about. So. It's it's awesome stuff, uh, just top notch people, top notch top notch merchandise, uh, just a wonderful site and a wonderful partner for our podcast. Once again, you can use the code Roar Lions Roar all caps all one word at checkout if it is your first time ordering from Homefield to get fifteen percent off of that first order. Now, let's get into. The funniest part of Penn State's schedule this upcoming this is awesome. season. This is such a great end to a schedule. This is, this is amazing. Yeah, it's not the first time that they've ended with something like this. I feel like they've you they've had Ohio State and Michigan around the middle of the year. It feels like for a couple of years in a row now. Uh, but Penn State's final four games of the season will be at Indiana, home versus Maryland, at Rutgers, and home versus Michigan State for the ever glorious Land Grant Trophy. My first question, Craig, aside from the, you know, the obvious land grant fund, I don't know if anybody, I don't know if any website has ever had more consistent fun with land grant content than Roar Lions Roar did back when we were a written medium. Um, But aside from all that fun, do you like playing Sparty to end the year? I would like playing Sparty a lot more if it was not at home because I'm a season ticket holder and that game after Thanksgiving is impossible to (laughs) unload, but... (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm now at the point of, I don't care who we play the last game of the year as long as it's on the road um, you know it, but again it, 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 it's, it is a tough that, it's not a game to be taken lightly it's a, it's a good opponent and then you have this situation where um, the players go through Thanksgiving too it's, you know, it's a celebration I, I do just worry about the quality of play um, in that game, but you know, it is, it, it, it was for so long the game to end the season. The seniors always came out, um, against Michigan state, the land grant trophy in its all glorious hideousness, um, was presented at the end of the game and, um, people got comfortable with it. I just wish it was not the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yes. Let us never forget the Derek Moore game ever, ever, because that was one of the, f- one of the coolest wide receiver performances I think I've ever seen when he 
what I don't know. I don't know what his final numbers even ended up as, but I'm pretty sure he had two touchdowns. I know he forced the fumble after the interception. He pulled a Steve Largent and got the ball back for the team. Um, that was awesome though. But yeah, so I, uh, I'm, I'm going to touch in here. I totally agree with a lot of the things you said, Craig, but I think the one big advantage of playing Sparty, especially and for that last game of the season is that, you know, Penn state has had a lot of trouble with Michigan state in past years when they have followed Ohio state or Iowa or Michigan or some, some other heavyweight. That's when Sparty takes their prey. They're like the flying Dutchman in parts of the Caribbean. They take you when they have the wind at their back, when they have any little sliver of an opening, they're going to take advantage of that. And that just, that sort of back-to-back typically just doesn't happen at the end of the year. Usually it's something like Rutgers or Maryland or Indiana or anybody else right before them. So I think that is the advantage to having Sparty at the end. Uh, Matt, you want to weigh in on that too? Uh, this game is awesome because that's usually rivalry week for everybody else. So everyone else is stressed. Uh, we get to laugh at a um, like a dumb gargoyle that's called a trophy. It's awesome. <laughs> it's very it's perfect. True. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so looking outside of Sparty here then, uh, Craig, who do you actually, Matt, we'll go to you. Who do you think is the most dangerous this year between Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers? Kind of really different situations uh, for all three of those teams right now. Yeah, it's definitely not Indiana. Um, no disrespect to the fighting Tom Allens. It's probably Maryland, but a part of me thinks Rutgers takes a step. Um, Rutgers went to a bowl game. They it happened um the impossible i know they it was very much a they backed into a bowl we'll game, pull you up five and this. seven to their way yeah they coveted a, a bowl game yeah they bet listen that is that's a miracle for rutgers i don't care the context they went to a bowl game in year three with a new coach i think it's shiano's third year yeah that may, or yeah year three maybe year two year three anyway they're only going to get better under shiano like he knows how to win at rutgers uh in late you know, late November on the road. I think that game could be trouble. I mean, I don't know how great Rutgers is going to be, but I feel better about Penn State at home against a Maryland team that is probably not going to be great defensively um, than I do about, you know, going to a hostile crowd that maybe hates Penn State more than any other fan base in the country. Um, You know, that's just scary, no matter how you swing it. Uh, And they're only going to get better under Shiano. So I think the days of us looking at that Rutgers Rutgers game as like automatic, no doubt win are numbered. Um, And and I'm terrified that this could be a year where they jump up and and, and trip them up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if we're necessarily close to them being any more threatening than say Northwestern like I I just don't see Rutgers kind of getting to a point necessarily that soon where they have the offense to keep up with the better teams in the Big Ten the defense could and that's why I say Northwestern because the defense could get there Um, the defense kind of already is there honestly and you know if they still had Isaiah Pacheco, I might be more worried about Rutgers. I love that dude. He's gonna flourish on. I, he's on the Chiefs, I believe. He's gonna flourish in the NFL. Um, Craig, do you agree? I don't. Maryland, one hundred percent for me, just because Tulia and the wideouts um, are for the Big Ten among the best that Penn State will see after you know. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, um, in my opinion. 
they're just, again, going off returning production. They're returning 83% of their offense production, which is 18th in the country. Their defense wow. wasn't good to begin with, so who cares, right? Um, but, <laughs> okay, let's pull back. Penn State struggled in that game last year and was a pick six away. That's obviously a huge flip, but that game looks totally different. Again, it's hard to take anything from the second half of last year with Sean Clifford's injury and how terrible the offensive line was, but um, like Raheem Jarrett showed us what he could do in 2020. Again, COVID, whatever you want to say, but that was a massive win for Maryland over Penn State, and that game was not close. So for me, it's Maryland. And I believe Maryland also added, um, what's his name? Jacob Copeland from Florida, their leading receiver last year. I believe that's his name. Yeah. Yep. So they, yep. they, they're, their passing game is legit. I think the only reason that I am personally not super afraid of Maryland is because their exact strength, I think is what Penn state is best set up to stop this year. Um, like you said, yep. they have, Fan, they have fantastic wide receivers truly might be the second best wide receiver group in the big 10 after Ohio state. Um, but obviously Penn state has this incredible secondary or what looks to be an incredible secondary. And I think the Penn state pass rush is going to be much improved too. And if there's one thing we learned about Talia Tungavailo in the last few years is that when he is up against a good pass rush, he starts to crumble a little bit and he starts to get off time and off balance with his throws. And that's when he does things like throw a pick six to Jair Brown to effectively end the game. So yeah. And, and and just to touch on Indiana too, since we've talked about the other two, I the only thing that gives me pause is that the last time Tom Allen really had this team humming was when we didn't really expect much of them, right? And we expect nothing of them now. So anything could happen with that team. Side note on Maryland real quick, since we were belaboring schedules earlier. At Wisconsin, at Penn State, host Ohio State three weeks in a row in November. <laughs> Oh my Big God. Ten hates new members. <laughs> oh my God. They play Michigan and Michigan State in back-to-back weeks. Well, there's a buy in between, but they play them in consecutive games early in the year as well. If they don't add a couple other West Coast schools by the time that USC and uh, UCLA join, I'm fascinated to see what their schedules end up looking like for football, let alone the other sports. I mean, it's whole lot to get into there but just for football and i'm curious to see what they what they do to them (laughs) for lack of a better term so matt last question i have here do you prefer when you have this sort of ending to the season where you have i I don't want to call them cupcakes they're big 10 teams they're they all have you know their own different ways that they can be effective but would you rather end the year with the softer Big 10 teams that don't necessarily provide you a chance to show anything other than that you can continue winning. And if we're talking about the playoff committee at this point, right? Like that's what matters at this point in the year. So would you rather be facing these teams that just provide you the opportunity to kind of survive in advance? Or would you prefer to have like uh, what I've called, I call them the movement games, like the things that can give you the chance to make a move up the rankings, like, a Michigan or Ohio state. Like, would you prefer to have maybe just one of them towards the end of the schedule? I like the soft landing because the movement games are still getting played. 
Like you still, sure. you're not going to gain anything, whether you play these teams, you'll lose a lot no matter when you play them, but you're not going to gain anything from beating these teams. If you beat them on September 10th or on November 28th, like no matter what happens, a win against Rutgers is going to be viewed as a win against Rutgers. Like let's just call it how it is. And and we're in a new era now of college football where this red shirt rule of the four games is about to become, and it did last year, it's about to become a lot different in how schools handle it. Like I personally think because of what happened with Jamari Budden and Kobe King and having to sit out the Outback Bowl after everybody opted out, I think that's going to teach the staff a lesson. So I think during the regular season, the real cutoff line is going to have to be three games. Like I just think that that is probably a little bit more realistic. So I just to make sure they're available for the bowl game if dudes keep opting out. Like you need to make sure you have that depth. So I think those first two MAC games can be a great opportunity. And then I think during that last stretch of, you know, any combination of the Indiana Rutgers um, Maryland trio, you can kind of then take advantage of guys third games there, like mix and match. Uh, that's like KJ Winston or a Cam Miller or, you know, um, there's another good example, like, you know, Probula or Aller, if they Amari decide Evans. they want to get their reps Amari in. Mari Evans. Evans, like you can kind of mix and match guys in there then and still get the starters their reps, but then you can still get the young guys their reps while making sure that they're able to preserve their red shirt. And I think more importantly, preserve their game status for the bowl. Cause I think bowls are quickly shifting now to let's see what we have for the upcoming season, as opposed to let's put a good chapter on this past season. So that's why I kind of like the softer landing. I think it, it just opens up the staff a little bit more to kind of manage the roster and, and, and red shirts and injuries a little bit better. Yeah. It's like bowl games are kind of like, they're like pre spring spring games at this point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Craig, what do you think? Do you agree? Yeah, I think it's such an interesting calculus here, right? Because let's say as we need to, that Penn state needs to come out of the first third four. No, let's say you go two and two. All right, so now you're six and two, head towards the final third with four extremely winnable games. You're staring down 10 and two, right? So then a New Year's Six Bowl does not become, is not, we haven't seen the opt outs. Now, again, we haven't been in a post COVID New Year's Six Bowl to really test that theory, but we didn't see the opt outs previously. Um, I, honestly, to be clear, the official stance of Roar Lines Roar is opt out all you want, kids. Go get that yeah, paper. Yeah, definitely. Go get paid, protect yourself, get the money. Get money. Um, I think that in the same vein that the calculus around redshirting is overwrought. Like you're, if you're good enough to play in more than four games as a freshman, you're not going to be here for five years. So just you get four years with the kid. If they're good enough to play in more than four games as a freshman, play them in more than four games as a freshman with the portal and you know the way that true good players leave um i, I just don't i don't see redshirting as an advantage anywhere except along the offensive line really i mean like do i want to see Drew Shelton burn his redshirt this year absolutely not because um you never know with offensive linemen and he could be a four year starter at Penn State um so but again if he's that good to be a four year starter he's probably not going to be here for four years anyway so I, I just say play the best players you have on the roster, regardless of their class. Yeah. And I think Franklin has been pretty open about the fact that he's kind of moving towards that model. Also that he understands that 
you know, the chances that we are going to have guys you know, recruited post COVID with the extra year and all that, not a factor, the chance that you're going to have guys on campus for five years, even if they're not, you know, bona fide stars with the world of the transfer portal. Now it's really, really slim that you're going to have anyone for five years. Um, so that's a good point. I wanted to go back to something, Matt, that you mentioned, you said that you, and maybe you were just speaking about kind of the non-movement games, but I thought I heard you say that you think the movement games hold the same weight earlier in the season as compared to later in the season. And I would push back on that a little bit because the committee is not, um, they're not a computer. They've shown, I think in the past that they, like, I think, I think we have seen them be swayed by somebody beating opponent B later in the season as compared to earlier in the season and it making a difference as far as the timing. And I think part of that is because, because they're not computers and because they can toss any arbitrary logic onto it that they want about why it's more important now. Oh, well, early in the season, team B was missing at starting defensive end. So we viewed it as more important here at the end of the year or, you know, team A beat team B without their starting tight end. And I think that makes a difference at this juncture in the season. To me, I, that, that is the one pushback I'd have to that is that I think just because they're human beings, I think it's a lot easier. And let's say you're Penn state. I think it's a lot easier to take value from beating number three, Ohio state on November 16th as compared to beating number four, Ohio state on October 11th. Your retort, sir. That matters more in a world where a two loss team can make the playoff. Like if we head towards expansion, like, I don't know. I mean, if you want to, if Penn state wants to get to the playoff, it has to go 11 and one or better. Sure. Like, I don't care when you win those games. Like, I think your point is very valid. I just think that, that that's great for rankings, but outside of those top four, do those rankings really mean as much, you know, after that final playoff rankings announced? Like I, I totally get what you're saying and it, you are correct that it definitely does affect where they rank teams. But you know, if we're talking in the context of the college football playoff, which is Penn state's ultimate goal, maybe not this year, but you know, in, in a, in a handful of years, um, I don't think it matters. Like, especially in the four team format, it's either go 11 and one, and the committee's not going to care when you won your 11 games, as long as you have that 11 in your win column. So that that's would be fair. my retort there. That's fair. TCU and Baylor might disagree, but that's fine. We're not worrying about them right now. But th- th- it was an 11 and one team that they got beat out by. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I understand. So like I said at the top, we're not going to do any sort of schedule predictions right now or anything like that. We're going to save that for a podcast that we'll post uh, next week, next week being game week. Shockingly, all of a sudden really, really crept up on us. Um, but a short week too for a short week. Yeah, it's yeah, we're going to people. People say they're worried about the staff, but they're not worried about the podcasters and what, how we're going to release episodes <laughs> and all our ideas. I think it's very selfish of the big 10 to not like, consider us in this schedule. We've got like 15 more good podcast ideas that we're just not going to be able to fit. We're going to have to find like, we're going to have to have busy bye weeks and all that. It's, we got all this great content we want to deliver that it's really, really selfish of the big 10 not to think about us. I, I totally agree. But before we get out of here, Craig, just give me your rank the schedule one to 10, 10 being it's an ideal in your mind. One being it's a horror scape. 
you know, I'm I'm gonna edge it up. I would say it's like a seven point five to eight, just because mm. the position that Auburn is not the strongest that we've seen them. Um, there's an opportunity for an early season marquee victory if somehow you do end up knocking off Michigan in the big house. Um, you have you're you're winning in against the Buckeyes, you know, to go to the playoff. So. I think the schedule sets up nicely because uh, I don't think Purdue is too hard of a challenge. Then you get the Mac school, then you go to Jordan Hare, where Auburn has a lot of questions, especially on offense. Um, is our defense up, you know, to those challenges? And then you get, um, you know, the Northwestern game. Uh, I'm sorry, Central Michigan Northwestern after that, which then sets you up nicely for that middle, those three middle games that are kind of the make or break so i'd say it's like 7.58 okay matt i think it's a six um you know going on the road to power five schools two of your first three games isn't fun um i can't name the last time penn state did that uh going to michigan isn't fun um and then to to in solidarity with craig the uh, the last game being a home game uh after thanksgiving uh is just annoying because that game is usually lightly attended uh, with the exception of the 2016 season when they clinched the big 10 East. Um, so, I mean, it's been worse. It could be better. I mean, I, I don't, again, I just really don't love coming off a seven and six season going on the road to power five schools twice in the first month. That's not great. That 2016 Michigan state game was the closest I sat to the field. Once I stopped being a student for my, that was the game was on my birthday that year. So my wife, bought us and a couple of my friends from home tickets where like i think second row like on the 10 or nice. something like that it was very cool very cool the the gasicki touchdown that that was coming towards me i think so that was a cool view for that yeah. for that play was my one friend so drunk he was starting to fall asleep while standing in the first half which was painfully boring yes he was but he woke up in the <laughs> second half which is what matters um i I think I'd land somewhere in the middle of you guys. I'll say seven for my ranking for the schedule. I like you said, Matt, I, I really don't love going to Purdue and to Auburn in the first three weeks, but it's not the worst year to be going to Purdue or going to Auburn. I am definitely afraid of Aiden O'Connell for Purdue and I facing one of the big tens, best quarterbacks week one on the road is certainly not ideal, but no David Bell, no George Karlaftis. That's a pretty big deal. Um, like you mentioned, Auburn's just in a weird spot. Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State is not, not ideal. And like I said before, I would actually prefer the bye be after the Michigan game. But overall, I think it's it's a doable schedule. Your crossover with the your crossover games with the West are pretty light, especially compared to the last few years. Just not having Iowa is such a weight off the shoulders of the regular season. Um, so I, I, I think I'd land as a seven as well. Uh, like I said, we will do more in-depth predictions. We'll make our season win total predictions. We'll um, make player prop predictions. We have a whole bunch of predictions, a whole bunch of betting stuff like that. That's going to be coming probably next week or maybe at the end of this week. Uh, we will have another podcast with Bill and uh, some friends outside of Roar Lions Roar 
that we'll be doing a little over under podcast for all the big 10 teams just to kind of get a better gauge on what they're doing so look out for that that'll probably be posting on friday um but for now I think that's all we got for tonight. So once again, as a reminder, please make sure you are subscribed, following, downloading our podcast from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get them. And please leave us a five-star review. If you are able, leave us a question. We will answer it. And if you have yet to order a first order on homefieldapparel.com or that's their website homefieldapparel.com whatever it is google homefield apparel you'll find them um if you have yet to <laughs> order from them you can use the code roar lions roar all caps all one word at checkout for 15 percent off of your first order you can get any of their amazing penn state shirts or any of their other shirts they're all great and especially look out for their new indianapolis colt stuff even if you're not an indianapolis colts fan that stuff looks incredible i'm yeah, super sweet. jealous it's really sweet um but for myself, Nick Pollock, for my co-hosts tonight, Craig Fritz and Matt Filipovitz, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Go State. Go State. Go State.